get with me and still your ass in the cap. The exes it. Welcome to the Megan Cap. Three of your favorite power hosts are going to come back and still have a fear guess. Threat must be some weird dancing and be less heroes and darren good coffee will cause some sore. Amuse each as for Amuse. Let's rock. <laughs> what on earth? Guys, there's subtitles, so you understand what it says. <laughs> I did not in an audio form. <laughs> I don't know what I, I got like three words out of that, and I think it was mostly demonic. <laughs> Paul is dead for sure. Yeah. Paul is definitely dead. Wow. Um, huh. Wow. It well, makes sense when you think about it. Welcome to Big Kids Hell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And I'm Zach. We'd like to thank you for listening to our last show, our comedy show. No, it was really comedy fun. Last week. Oh, it was so fun. Was this so it fun? Was so, last week was fun. Like this week might be. Um, <laughs> yeah, calling it now. First of all, let me shout out. Uh, I, I oh, There were several people. I, off the top of my head, I can think of Crew Dutler on Twitter, Joshua Walla, Scott Sprague, I think, who participated in our, all the of categories. our categories. They did all the categories. On yeah. Twitter. I'm sure there was others. If you're out there, I love you. Thank you for playing along. Also, there was a bunch of uh, comments on the Facebook post that we uh, that Joel put out. He asked, what movie always gives you a good laugh when you need it? And there was just comments that just gave that movie, which yeah. I really appreciated. Like Jonathan Vasquez said, it's really stupid, but Get Smart gets me every time, as well as Anchorman and Talladega Nights. Brian Thatcher said it's a bad, bad, mad, mad world. Mm -hmm. And there was also a shout out from Steve Hansen about Rat Race, which... More or less, it's is, the, it's is the a same remake, movie, kind of the same movie, which I thought was interesting. One's better than the other. Ashley Rose <laughs> says Undercover Blues. Paul Jeffrey said The Three Amigos. Joe Haraldson said Clue. I mean, all these movies. Yeah. I'm like, nice. That's a good. We choice. didn't purposely forget awesome. them. So no, no, we had, to, we had to limit ourselves for yes. a, a potential sequel. Oh, and then Joel. I mean, Jim Smith said UHF. Ah, yes, I'm that sure made me happy. Like I'm a big fan of. But really anyway, thanks everyone for playing along. Thanks for giving your movies. And then just the final comment I want to share comes from our buddy Mots, who says, "All I will say is this: I love at seven eight six Joel and always will, regardless of his taste in movies." <laughs> and I said, "You are backhanded I, in the face with love." And I said, "Ditto." <laughs> <laughs> That's, Good uh, call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, no, thank you. Thank you for uh, participating. Thank you for commenting. We enjoy your feedback on social media. But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? I don't know at all. That's you know, accurate. You know I mean, what we're I know, about. Yeah. but I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. But we're talking about David Lynch and Twin Peaks. Which is made by David Lynch. Yeah. So it, if you don't know who David Lynch is, that's okay. That's okay. You're good. Because we're going to get there. Because, But if you've ever gone, if you've ever attended a film class, you probably heard about David Lynch. He is kind of a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, an auteur for sure. Yes. But like he's he's a he's a film geek's film uh, so, geek. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely a very surrealist filmmaker. And we'll be talking about all of his films and TV projects as it's, well. It's a, it's a big topic. I don't think we can take this one on our own. We can't. So we're going to need a guest. 
which is why we brought in Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show, Andrew. Why don't you tell the listener a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a 19-year-old. I'm, <laughs> I'm a young buck. He's a young. Uh, he just said that so he could be the youngest one on the I'm show. Older. I'm older than somebody. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I like films. I like to work. You told me before we started recording about how you'd like the tone of Bacon Cell to be a little bit more dark. Yes, I, so I did say this. that sometimes I wish it did go a bit darker. I kind of miss when Jacob was here when he was just a wild card. <laughs> <laughs> you never knew. You never knew. Straight up gunfire. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you're a, a 19 year old who's choosing a topic like this. So I can't wait to see where it goes. Well, yeah, it makes that, sense, though, doesn't it? That's yeah. my question for you, though, Andrew, is I mean, David Lynch is not someone that's ever commercially successful. He's not very well known outside of like, you know, people who study film. So how did you get into David Lynch? Well, my first experience with David Lynch was probably when I was around four to six. Wow. I remember... That's years old or weeks ago? No, when I was like years old. uh, There was a TV show on and it was during this particular part and it was uh, Twin Peaks and it was the midget dancing, which has led me to a lifelong fear of... um, Little people. people. Yeah, midgets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, little people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh Back then, that's what they said. But I actually understand that because Twin Peaks, I remember as a teenager us watching an episode and I'm like, what? It, like at first it was like, you know, kind of sad. It was very sad. And then it got scary and then it got surreal. And I'm like, what is this show? Yeah. Yeah. Twin Peaks was definitely my, my lead in after that experience. I was just like, what? When you were seven. Yeah. yeah. No. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> no, it was like when I was, I don't know, like 17, I was like, you know, I want to, I want to watch some more like most famous TV shows and films. And I was like, well, you know what? Twin Peaks, I've heard a lot about it. And I know it's supposed to be really good, except for it got really bad. So I started watching it and I just, I fell in love with the people, with the places, with the, the subtle, strange little things. And I just ended up watching David Lynch's whole filmography. Wow. And I, first of all, I apologize if that's because of the bacon cell, because we have talked about Twin Peaks a number of times on the show before, and it is very accessible. But his other stuff, his movies, they range from, you know, straightforward, even heartwarming to bizarre, dark, heart crazy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but before we uh, proceed, we have a few oh, questions for you. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. That's I right. I'm so excited. No, I need to jump right it's in. Okay. Hey, this is the David Lynch show. We can do things out of order. Oh, absolutely. We probably should. <laughs> yeah. In fact, at one point, I'll be playing Zach. Zach oh. will be playing Jake. This will be it. So, yes, Andrew, we have a series of questions we hey, normally guys. ask our, our guests when they come on. <laughs> really excited for the show. I'm going to ask you these questions rapid fire, 11 of them. You answer as quickly as possible, even if you don't have a strong opinion. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of get a feel for what kind of, uh, which side you lean on, shall we say. All right. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Which is better, Karate Kid or Karate Kid 2? I have not seen Karate Kid 2, so I'll go with regular old original recipe, Karate Kid. Okay. <laughs> which is worse? <laughs> I like extra crispy. If they called it that, that'd be awesome. <laughs> which is worse, Star Wars Episode 1 or Star Wars Episode 2? Star Wars Episode 1. Okay. okay. Oh. Do you rate movies using stars or letter grades? I would probably say letter grades. Okay. Okay. Which is the more America movie, Rocky IV or Independence Day? Rocky IV. There we mm-hmm. go. Is Night Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's a shrunken head in it. It's a Halloween movie. Best friends. You don't give shrunken heads at Christmas? Buffy or X-Files? Uh, X-Files. Actually, Supernatural, I would prefer to either. Take it of, easy. Uh, calm yeah. down, Jacob. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Lord of the Rings. Wow. Which movie is more Christmassy, Die Hard or Lethal Weapon? Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> Die hard. People oh, sorry. Uh, Phantom of the Opera or Les Miserables? Phantom of the Opera. Okay. okay. Labyrinth or Neverending Story? Oh, I haven't seen either. It uh, makes sense. I will go with 
<laughs> You're going to go with a guess. I'm going to go with uh, yeah, Never Ending Story. Mm. Good guess. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or 10 Things I Hate About You? Well, I mean, you got Matthew McConaughey and you got JGL. <laughs> That's what I call him. Too. I haven't seen either of them either. I'll go ahead. You've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> Did you choose one? The one with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, How to Lose a Guy in 10 the Days. The one with Matthew McConaughey. He's a handsome man. That's a great he episode is, of Friends. He's a handsome man. Uh, <laughs> all right, Andrew, I think we've uh, learned a little bit. Uh, that I think you are we learned that Andrew friend. is me as a 19-year-old. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, do you work at Lagoon? <laughs> but uh, no, thank you, Andrew, for being here. L- l- jumping back in, I'm, I'm just going to bring this back to yeah. David Lynch. So David Keith Lynch was born in Missoula, Montana in 1946. He's a filmmaker. He's a painter. He's a musician. He's an actor. He's a writer. He kind of does everything. I, I kind of wanted to know where he came from. He came from, though, because all over, his style is so unique, and I, I thought he had to have a weird upbringing. But it seems pretty normal. He was raised by his his dad is a research scientist. His mom was a language tutor, and it wasn't until he moved his young family when he got married. He moved his young family to Philadelphia uh, in the Fairmount neighborhood. It says where they had a really high crime rate and poverty all around them. Mm-hmm. He said, "quote We lived cheap, but the city was full of fear." A kid was shot to death down the street. We were robbed twice. Had windows shot out and a car stolen. The house was first broken into only three days after he moved in. The feeling was so close to extreme danger and the fear was so intense. There was violence and hate and filth. But the biggest influence in my whole life was that city. Wow, okay. Which, you know, as a father, Mm -hmm. I I just think it's a little odd that like your family's living in fear. You're like, oh, I'm feeling so inspired right now. (laughs) He made his first short film, Six Men Getting Six, Six Times. In 1967. Okay. So people throwing up six times. And he has 98 directing credits on his IMDb page. Yeah. He he does the weather and he uh, chooses the number (laughs) for the day. Most of those are short films and music videos too. Only 10 of those are feature films. He's only made 10 feature films. Uh, He does have a website you mentioned, Mm -hmm. davidlynch.com, which actually just leads to his YouTube page where... He tells the weather, and then he picks a random number out of a out of a jar, a ping pong ball. Swirl it the, around. The day yes. we're recording, the number is eight. I like that. I love my, that's Thank my you, Zach. number. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he has received three Academy Award nominations for Best Director, uh, which, you know, and that, that's what I wanted to bring it back is that as a filmmaker, he mm-hmm. is talked about a lot because his films, if nothing else, are unique. You watch them. You don't forget about them very. Anytime or are soon. they the, the are they the kind of movies that you read about but don't watch? Because that was my experience. I hadn't watched Twin Peaks until a couple of years ago when you made me watch it, Joel. I didn't make you. You made me watch it. I'd I, seen maybe. Look, I put the gun down. <laughs> I'd seen and you kept two, watching exactly, but I've seen maybe two of his movies previous to this show, and then I watched all ten, and I went, "Why haven't I seen this?" Because you look at any TV or best of TV or best of movie list, you're going to see Twin Peaks, you're going to see Eraserhead, you're going to see these kind of movies where you go. I've never seen that, but I always meant to, but maybe I never want to. I had something I was going to tell you, Kent. Sure. I feel, because uh, I had only seen Dune previous to yeah. preparing mm-hmm. for this episode of, of his movies. Dune, that's when Dune, the 1984 Dune, I should clarify. But as I was watching some of the movies, I didn't watch all of them, but I watched some of them, and I went, Kent, David Lynch is A24 before A24 was A24. Totally. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So A24 does these really trippy movies nowadays. That's what David Lynch was doing before. I don't know why he hasn't done one for A24 yet. He's too good for it. You think so? Yeah, A24 sell out at this yeah. point. Well, also, all of his movies are independently financed. Yeah. And isn't A24 a studio? Yes. Yeah, so he wouldn't. No. Although he has done studio work before. Yeah. But by Once. A24, you yeah. mean crazy off the wall, unpredictable stuff happening. Yes. There's one of his early short films. Just just to give you an idea of kind of what his short films were about, 
uh, a, it's a black and white. His wife was playing uh, this woman, and she's doing she's reciting the alphabet in bed. And it's like these weird the letters kind of pop up creepily, and it's like jarring and stop motiony. And then she just kind of uh, dies and bleeds all over the place. Oh, uh-huh. so that's and that got a bunch of awards. And I'm like, man, student film's so easy. It's weird. He's not like a Rob Zombie type guy where he's he looks like a scary dude. No, though. He, he's a, he looks mm. like a nice old grandpa. And he talks so, but so his, his movies kind of drive you to the point of insanity a little bit, maybe sure. on purpose. Well, no, I, I mean, you know, I'm just speaking of my personal experience. I, I love all those films. I, I get to the end of them and I'm just like, man, I'm going to go out and play in a park now. What? <laughs> like a park during the end of the day? Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. Cause you need sunlight after watching those movies a little bit. Yeah. But I'm also just like, I'm just so blown away by it. I'm just like, I gotta go walk outside so I can just kind of process this. I get that. Yeah, I get that because the movies, they're not there to, and this is my initial issue with uh, David Lynch is I'm trying to make sense of the movies. I want to go to YouTube right after watching a movie and say, don't explain that movie, right? What did I miss? Cause what's the theme? Now let's, let's get into a little bit of his, his style Absolutely. of filmmaking if we can, because he does do, they call it dream logic mm-hmm. where it's kind of the path a dream would take where you're here and all of a sudden you're somewhere else. Yeah, and he then, says the uh, connection, whether it's thematic, metaphorical, figurative is always arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And he says, never take that too lightly. And a lot of his movies are non, non-linear, meaning mm-hmm. they kind of jump around in the story and you have to piece them together in your mind. But dreams and dreamlike imagery is a huge part of what he does. And he, he also does something called uh, magic realism, where it's everyday, normal life, yeah. but like someone might have a special power or there might be some sort of supernatural element that throws things into kind of an imbalance for one reason or another. He also likes talking about the dark underbelly that's, you know, hidden among us. There's something sinister, criminal activity going on right around us and we have no idea. Which I think came from his childhood. Uh, yeah. Just look into it a little bit. Just look into it. Yeah. Um, deformities. usually. Yeah, facial deformities or uh, injuries. Uh, flickering lights. He's yeah, drapery. Oh, a ton of flickering lights. He's obsessed with the 50s. Like most of his movies seem like they take place there. Yeah. But none of them yeah. actually take place in the 50s. Yeah. It's yeah. all reverential towards it. Yeah. Uh, weird dancing scenes in the middle of his movies or, or musical numbers. Yeah. Yep. They're like, where did that come from? Why is a lady in the radiator singing to me? <laughs> I have no idea why. Daylight horror is a big part. Yeah. Which is actually terrifying. If you can pull off daylight horror, which one of these movies oh. has an, a great moment, it's so the effective bomb, because yeah. it's, it stays with you. Well, you, you mentioned stays with you. And I think that's, that's what I'm going to carry from almost all the movies I saw is there's mm-hmm. going to be an element that's like, that's either going to haunt me or even I'm if think about that for a long time. Even if you can't, Explain what happened in the movie, and, but but his movies aren't even explicitly horror. I, no, they're I, not. I don't no. think it is a straightforward horror film at all. But each of them have kind of this surreal thing where you kind of just kind of sit back and go, "What is happening right now?" Just weird effects. It is really. Uh, he's a guy. You just gotta. You just gotta take it, and you just gotta keep running with it. Because if you stop and think, you're gonna lose it. Yeah. Well, and, and that's he is most about eliciting an emotion. He wants you yeah. to feel something. He wants, he you, wants to you to like have you're an experience. A yeah. And then have you yeah, have some sort of experience with it. And like uh, Ken's intro, which I got, you know, 20 uh, percent of uh, <laughs> Not much. There's there's parts where people are talking backwards, but forwards and they have subtitles and the things they're saying don't really help you. But that's kind of how a dream is where you're like, why is this happening? I don't know. Well, you mentioned that it's, you know, a lot of his work stays with you. Mm. You know what stays with him? Oh, by the way, I got fun facts. Australia style. <laughs> Coffee and cigarettes? Wait, more, more fun facts about Australia or about David Lynch? <laughs> no, Australia style facts. 
about David Lynch. In that they're dumb. <laughs> no. I'm right. going to make them fit. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. You know, so his movie Stay With You, you know what stays with him? His, uh, the top button of his shirt that he always buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He force gumps it? Yeah. You know what else stays with him? Uh He's a, he's a proud Eagle Scout. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. He is an Eagle Scout. So he is an Eagle Scout. Knowledge he how obtained. do you feel about that, Joel? I'm 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 proud of him for accomplishing that. I'm pretty sure it was his mom that got it. It was his dad. Yeah, yeah. For all of us. But also, he did say that he was not a big fan of scouting. Like he oh. kind of he, oh. he didn't like it that much. But. He got it at the insistence of his father. Yeah, yeah. I also have a couple of fun facts I wanted to go through. Go for it. His favorite brand of cigarettes are uh, American Spirit Full Body Taste Blue. <laughs> he is a father of four to Jennifer Austin Riley and Lula. Uh, his mother refused to let him have coloring books as she thought they would restrict his creativity. Wow. This uh, he is a man of few clothes. If you see him, he's always wearing a black shirt and tan pants. It's yeah. Like Homer Simpson. And he's a weatherman, which is great. He's a loud talker too, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he is, Kent. Yeah, like when he's directing a movie, he'll yell at his cast, but not, that's just how he, well, he distributes and it. And it's also, yeah. the, the way he speaks, it's like a very, planet, a very pleasant Werner Herzog. Where he mm-hmm. has this voice that you just can't help but like. And he doesn't use contractions, which is just weird to me a lot of times where he's like... He does not use contractions. He does not. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And like when you hear him speak, it's just kind of like, oh, this is a nice man. And then you look at his paintings or you see his movies and you're like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Something's wrong it's up It's like there. the darkness inside, even though he looks so nice. So we're going to... Oh, uh, really quick. Sorry. One thing I wanted to mention about his style of filmmaking. He is not a rush filmmaker. He really takes his time filming a movie. Yes. I believe Eraserhead took about seven years to make. Something yeah. like that. And that was one where I believe he made a movie and he didn't like the oversight the school did. Yeah. So he's going to quit the school. And, the, and the, the film teacher was like, no, no, no. You're one of our best students. Mm-hmm. You got to stay. And he's like, if I stay, I want to make a movie and have no one yeah. like interfere with it. And he made Eraserhead. Wow. Which is bizarre. Yeah. But we, well, let's get into the films. Yeah. It's a perfect kind of... Segway. So we're going to briefly go through uh, all 10 of his films, but that's not going to be the, the bulk of the show here. It's just going to be part of it. But the way we're going to do it is Andrew here is going to be our constant, and he's going to put these films not in chronological order because that would be too easy. He's going to do them in the order that he likes them, Yeah, which is going to tell us a lot about Andrew, uh, well, at least us here in the room. It may surprise you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And number 10, I have Inland Empire. I just want to say none of these films are bad, I don't think. Uh, anyway, uh, and the Inland uh, Empire. It's good that you're starting with this one, though, because I have it worst. at number 10 because I have not seen it. I was going to watch it last night, and then all of a sudden I couldn't find it on any streaming platform. You can only buy it on Blu ray and DVD, which I would probably have to buy it on now, Amazon to get it. Let's talk about Inland Empire real quick because this is a three hour movie. Yeah. This is David Lynch's last film that he made in, in 2006. 2006. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was his uh, foray into digital filmmaking. And the synopsis is, as an actress begins to adopt the persona of her character in a film, her world becomes nightmarish and surreal. This looks like, Andrew, I've seen clips, and this looks like a student film with no budget whatsoever. Like just the lighting and the graininess. I watched watched this last night, and it's a student film with Laura Dern in it. Uh, Jeremy Irons is there as well. Justin Theroux. And by the way, a lot of these actors, they're recurring actors with mm-hmm. him because yep. they all like working with him. Mm-hmm. Jack Nance, not in that? I think he is. Henry Dean Stanton? Yes, he is, he's, he's in for a little bit, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. He's a lot of the, the kind of the same people he does. And so it's it's such a surreal movie. And like you said, Joel, just to explain a little bit further, I'm sitting there watching this three-hour movie going, no, 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 stop trying to piece it together. That's not what he wants you to do. He wants me to get my own meaning from it. But basically, Laura Dern is an actress who just got a cool role. And she's like, this is amazing. And then she befriends women of the night on L.A. streets, we'll say. Okay. And then she becomes homeless. But it's probably just a movie. But also, who knows? 
because Trivial nobody life. knows. In fact, in IMDb trivia, it says none of the cast knows what this movie is about. Marketing executives were so puzzled by the film, they did not know how to promote it. They eventually chose the tagline, a woman in trouble, because <laughs> they had no idea um, how to sell although, it. Although uh, David Lynch was so impressed with Laura Dern's performance in this, he, he sat on a corner in L.A. with a cow that just said, Laura Dern... Uh, Nominated for, for, for best actress, yeah. Well, just with a cow on a L.A. street corner. He had another sign. I found out he made appearances around with another with a cow with another placard that said, "Without cheese, there would be no Inland Empire." Ah, excellent. Is it though? I don't know. What does that mean? It's so David Lynch. Uh, but I, I, I did want to bring up something because, like I said, David Lynch is definitely a film student's uh, art auteur. He's yeah. kind of he's a filmmaker that film students admire. And I have a friend, uh, Jeff who I talked to a lot about David Lynch. He gave me a lot of notes, kind of just to... Cause like a film class, I needed to appreciate him more because yeah. I was not liking a lot of what I was seeing. But uh, one of the things Jeff said about this one was, with Inland Empire, David Lynch finally cracked how to really create the feel of a dream. Everything in your peripheral often feels very dark. It seems like it's night even when it's daytime. Even normal se- seeming things feel strange. You're in one location, then you're in another location, and nothing feels right. And then he talks about the, the dance break in the middle with the locomotion, yep. which is just bizarre. So this may be his last, his this last is, film. This is so dreamlike, this entire movie. David Lynch just said he, he doesn't plan on making meaning. another film. Yeah. But who knows? He may. There's we a series know. announced, I believe, what, that what, he's going to do or created. Anyway. So we'll see. Number nine, uh, Lost Highway. Uh, I quite enjoyed this one. Uh, I thought it was terrifying. There were, there were moments that I felt true terror at just this face, this mystery man. So let me give the synopsis real quick. I've got my personal synopsis if you want to make sense of it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. It starts off as a creepy peeping Tom movie. Then it becomes a possible frame for murder movie. Then Bill Pullman turns into a high school kid and the movie is not about the first story anymore. He gets involved with a mob boss's girlfriend who is a blonde version of Bill Pullman's girlfriend. I know that made no sense because that's The Lost Highway. That, yeah, I was going to say that. That's good enough. It's like two stories. In a lot of his movies, you're like, I'm following this story. Let's solve the mystery. And then people become different. Actors become different characters. Mm, are they different characters? Are they just entirely? Or are they are they the same are they people? Body? Or are they completely different people? Different people in this one, I guess. But you're right. There is a creepy vampire-like villain. Played by, man, yeah. played by Robert Blake. Yes. Who ended up being convicted for murder. Uh-huh. Oh, so okay. that adds a whole new layer of creepiness on uh, that guy. Uh, my, I was going to say my buddy Jeff, he mentioned, he said this, there's a reason why Lynch is continually discussed while so many lesser filmmakers aren't. Even if I can't verbally explain everything that happens in Lost Highway, it still feels right to me. It works on a thematic emotional level. Wow. Would you agree with that, Andrew? I think I would, yeah. I think you and Jeff would get along. Uh-oh. He's a good guy. All right, uh, number eight, I have Dune. Dune! Uh, the 1984 Dune. Yes, which, this is a film that I don't think David Lynch really wanted to do in the first place. No. The, there was some sort of charismatic producer, I believe, that convinced him to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he met uh, Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> on the set of this, which they've been good friends for many years now. He uses a Kyle McLaughlin. If you don't know who he yeah. is... I mean, he's the the mayor in Portlandia. I feel bad that that's the first credit every but, time. Well, I'm just thinking of like who would know him modern now. I mean, obviously he's Agent Del Cooper in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Sex in the City. Uh, is he in that? It's Sex in the City. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, by the way, synopsis: A Duke's son leads desert warriors against the Galactic Emperor and his father's evil nemesis to free their desert world from the Emperor's rule. Uh, has Virginia Madsen, uh, Patrick Stewart, Max von Sydow. Uh, Sting. Is that right? Yeah. Sydow? Yeah. Yep. 
Sting, of course, yeah. I feel like this is the least Lynch-ish of all of his movies. Like, it has some of his visual flair. There's some dream sequences, but this is... It feels like a studio production, and he's gone on to say that, yeah, he kind of sold out. Uh, and this, he yeah. let the studio decide bombed. what to make. This bombed at the box office. Well, apparently much of it, much of the, his footage was cut. Yeah, there's a supposed five-hour cut. Yeah, and then so the final theatrical cut, he has disowned. I think he removed his name from it and did like an Alan Smithy kind of thing where he put mm-hmm. another name on there. Mm. But this bombed. The budget was $42 million. It made $37 million, so less than it was cost. And yet, this is his highest grossing movie of any movie he's released wow 37.9 million dollars mm. most all his films have made probably less than 10 million andrew what do you like about this movie each i like some of the lines uh i like the sets i like jack nance acting all crazy with his eye yeah um did you see the new dune i did see the new dune uh i appreciate there was stuff in this movie that wasn't in the new dune mm-hmm. i did watch like the, the there's some sort of extended cut that's out there on the internet that i watched uh, yeah, I just appreciate some of the lines, the sets. That's pretty much all I had to say about it. Okay. So Dune. His most mainstream, should we say? I would say sure, so. Yeah. But maybe not his best. Moving along to number seven, I have The Elephant Man. Number seven? That didn't even crack your top five? It did. I, I, none of these are bad. I enjoy all of these very much. So The Elephant Man synopsis, a Victorian surgeon rescues a heavily disfigured man who is mistreated while scraping a living as a sideshow freak. Okay, so this is David Lynch's second movie. Uh, he wanted to make this movie called Ronnie Rocket. Uh, he just couldn't get off the ground. He still needed to work, so he um, he made this. And uh, it for a movie he didn't really want to do or didn't intend on making, it made an easy eight nominations at the Oscars. Crazy. Yep. Uh, uh, and I think it should have won basically all of them. Well, so it stars John Hurt, uh, if, if you know Aldevander from the Harry Potter series, the one who gives the wand. <laughs> sure. That's him. Uh, but he, it stars him, Anthony Hopkins, and Bancroft. And the, the reason why this movie works is because John Hurt, his performance underneath all that makeup, because it's based on the real life of John Merrick, who, you know, they took some liberties, obviously. Yeah. But he, had, he was disformed, disfigured, and yet he had this such a good soul inside of him. Mm-hmm. And you just love this guy. And I watched this one. Okay, so I watched, we'll get to it, but I watched Eraserhead first, I think. No, I think you watched Elephant Man. I, I can't remember which one I watched first, but I remember the comparison between these two. They're both black and white. Wildly different. One I absolutely enjoyed. This one, four stars. Absolutely enjoyed this one. The other one, not so much. But it is such a powerful movie. If you haven't seen The Element, 1980, uh, it's PG, very accessible. Not too bizarre, but also a little bit off-putting because obviously there's some uh, things that happen. Mm-hmm. But it's very well done. If you haven't seen The Elephant Man, I recommend this one. Yep. This is the first one I will fully recommend of David Lynch's movie. It's Michael Jackson's favorite movie. You yeah, want it really? Yeah. You know who else really liked this movie? Who? Roger Ebert. George Lucas. Yep. Here we go. George Lucas really liked this movie so much that he's like, hey, I wonder if that guy could direct <laughs> Return, Return of the Jedi. Yes. George Lucas asked David Lynch to direct Return of the Jedi. And then Lynch refused, saying, you know, you should direct that film yourself. It should reflect your vision. Uh, I don't do sci-fi movies. Well, he actually so said, he, goes on to he do said, do. chats about Wookiees gave me a headache. He said it gave him a migraine. Yeah. The whole time he went to Lucasfilm and he was getting pitched on this movie that he had no intention of doing and it was just giving him a headache. But then he did Dune. He yeah, went to lunch. He regretted it. He went to lunch with George Lucas and George Lucas's Ferrari. And uh, of course, the car. And he of course, there's a car when Zach's talking. He didn't. Uh, what kind he, of Ferrari was it? it? It was one in which he had to lay all the way back <laughs> to fit in it. 
George Lucas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he tried to pitch him on this movie. And he's like, I'm not doing this. You need to do this. And he still got Richard Marshall to do it. <laughs> McLaughlin did that. <laughs> yeah. <too>? yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he tried to convince him. And, and you know, we've talked about Lynch not really doing the whole studio big budget thing. And then even when he did with Dune, it was a commercial failure. Can you so, imagine Return yeah. of the Jedi with David Lynch directing? I try not to. Ooh, Ewoks <sighs> would be terrifying. It would have been bizarre. Mm. Those Ewoks are going to do something weird. Wait, is... Hold on. Is the cave an empire or is it in Return of the Jedi? That feels very David Lynchian to me. It's empire. It is Empire. Okay, you're right. It is. It's on Dagobah. Are you okay? <laughs> I just suddenly... I imagined him doing that and I was like, he could have done that. And number six, I have Eraser Head. You put Eraser Head ahead of Elephant Man? Just barely. Just barely. <gasps> uh, now, I think... Sorry, do you want to give the synopsis first? I have it. <laughs> A middle-aged man with frizzy hair and his girlfriend have a baby, but it's a crying alien creature swaddled in bandages. This man has a nightmare where his head falls off and a kid takes it to the pencil factory and they make erasers from his brain. He wants to kill the alien baby, but it grows to the size of a fridge and becomes a planet that breaks. Meanwhile, the scarred man in the window laughs at the frizzy-haired guy as he and the big-cheek woman embrace. Big cheek woman. I just spoiled the whole movie. Yeah, you basically did. That's the entire movie. (laughs) Guys, this movie hurt my brain so much. And guess what? It's a top five David Lynch movie. Mm -hmm. There is something to this movie, and it's it's his student film. You can tell. Like 30, 40 minutes of it is a silent movie. $10,000. And it's so. And it made $7 million at the box office. This is his after school special for many reasons. If you watch this movie, become very obvious. And wow, this movie is a straight up nightmare. It you almost have to respect it, but also <clears throat> be like, I never want to watch it again. Andrew, uh, I think you mentioned when I told you, I told you I watched this one, you were like, oh, why'd you, why'd you, st-? I think, yeah, you said, why'd yeah, you start with that one? No, I was like, oh, you should just, should not this watch is, that. This is, yeah, it's not rated. This is probably a PG-13, I'd say, just for disturbing imagery. Really disturbing. I don't though. think it goes into our territory. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't yeah. necessarily show anything, but so much is implied. But it, it is, feels so grimy. It's very grimy, but it is. This is something that that David Lynch does to this day, but even back then, he does these really long takes of just Mm -hmm. letting people sit there in silence or someone makes a comment and he'll let it go like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, forty beats before someone else talks. And he just lets the the camera roll and then allows the camera to dream. And does he let people improvise because there's so much weird laughing from characters or screaming or just, now, you're just like, oh, this is off-putting in every way. I watched a lot of special features for mm-hmm. uh, Twin Peaks The Return, and it seems like he does not like them to improv. He's always sitting there with a megaphone. He's always like, all right, now do it this way. Uh, now, a little bit more little bit more wind. You're, you're angry at him. You're, you're angry, but you don't know why. Wow, okay. I watched, when I was watching Eraserhead, I was thinking about how awkward filming must have been for the actors for some of these scenes. Mm-hmm. There's just scenes where weird things happen and the people just have to sit there stone faced. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be so awkward. I finished this one at 1.30 in the morning cause, and I wanted to message Joel being like, I just watched Eraserhead and I'm hurt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I waited till the next day to have some time to process it. I, I like this movie. I think it's ranked far too low on yeah. your list. Uh, I think there's just ones I like more. I think this is a very personal film to David Lynch. Uh, he says it's his most spiritual film, which he, I get. Like demon spiritual? Like Satan? <laughs> He actually got uh, divorced while making this movie. Yeah. And he lived on the set. Creepy. Like he was living on the yeah. set of this movie. And his father and his brothers were like, you got to quit this. You you have a wife and a child. You got to provide for him. Anyway, I, I yeah, this is just a very personal film. I feel like the fear from Philadelphia and just everything that was wrapped up inside him just went into this movie. 
It's weird though. This is the movie that got him discovered. Like Mel Brooks got him the Elephant Man because of this one. Yeah. All these, he like you said, Joel. He's a filmmaker's filmmaker. This is the one where people said, "Wow, I've never seen anything like that before." Yes, it's a midnight movie, but it's a midnight movie that changed everything. It's a fever dream. Yeah. And in totally. fact, uh, Lynch said that not a single reviewer of the film understood it in the way he had intended. Uh, one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films. Yeah, makes sense. That yeah, that definitely makes sense. I this was not my cup of tea. I have to say this was one where I got done and I went. I just I would like to erase that movie from uh-huh. my head. I think it's a big gut punch at the end. Yeah, not a literal one, but yes, I, I think we got punched in the gut. But I think someone's head exploded. Um, not mine. You know what would help with a good gut punch? <laughs> Ready? Furniture. Okay. Because David Lynch makes his own furniture. Oh, I believe that. Nice. Yeah. I would not sit on it, but I believe it. All right. Uh, at number five, I have Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. She wore blue. Um, do you have one for this kind of personal one, or do you want me to do the IMDb one? Young Kyle MacLachlan finds an ear in his yard and then starts his own private investigation. He starts dating the sheriff's daughter. Then he falls in love with Isabella Rossellini, who is essentially a captive of breather mask Dennis Hopper. Does he fall in love with her? Or does he fall in love with the mystery, Kent? Um, oh, 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 deep. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yes, starring Kyle MacLachlan, MacLachlan, Isabel Rossellini, Dennis Hopper, and Laura Dern. And this yeah. came out in 1986. Was budget was six million. It made 8.6 million. Lots of lots of R in this one. Yeah. yeah. Roger Ebert hated this movie. He thought that the treatment of Isabel Rossellini was just terrible in it. Which I think she came out later and said, "No, I'm fine." I mean, <laughs> it is really harsh. It's yes, dark. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my buddy Jeff uh, said, Blue Velvet is a nice middle ground where it's largely a crime thriller story, but with moments of that was stra- strange sprinkled throughout and feels not unlike Twin Peaks that he would develop only a few years later. Yeah. The music and scenes feel very Twin Peaks-esque. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a part of like, there's ugliness underneath this facade of like suburban America mm-hmm. type deal. Lynch has called this a dream of strange desires wrapped inside a mystery story. And this earned him his second Best Director nomination. Wow. Yeah. That's shocking, actually. Why hasn't he won yet? I don't know. All right. Uh, you guys ready for a number four? Because he's crazy. Well, I mean, do you want to know? Boy. I want to know everything, Zach. want to know that he has his own word? Yeah. Is it Greece? Well, he, no. But he has his Is own word. Is it Garmin Bosia? The, off, the Oxford Dictionary defines Lynchian mm. as a characteristic, reminiscent, or imitative of imitative. the works. Yeah, that's right. Imitative <laughs> of the works of David Lynch. Lynchian is a word. It yeah, like Lynchian. Feels and I like- learned more about this topic that I was assigned than you will. This was really for me. Yes, um, that was Lynchian. When, when the bishop approached me to talk about this, <laughs> cut that. No, out. but. I feel like uh, Lynchian is a term people in the film industry definitely use, kind of like how uh, literary people will say Kafka-esque, yeah. that kind of thing, yeah. where it's like, this is bizarre and surreal, Lynchian. you won't get this reference, but it's a legitimate there's word. A, like, there's a you know it's going to be it. surreal. Yeah. Surreal realism. Is it, though? Yeah. Because I have a feeling we're going to talk about one very soon that is not surreal. We'll get there. All right, number three, uh, I have Twin Peaks Fire, Walk With Me. Oh, so there was the TV show Twin Peaks. And then a year after it got canceled, yep. they came up with this, with Fire Walk With Me. Do you have the synopsis for this one, Kent? 
It's a prequel to the TV show, and it's not entirely necessary, except it tells the story and the, de- the decline of Laura Palmer and just how she became a victim. And the movie's weird because it shows, like, two agents you don't know, and it's Chris Isaac. Uh, and uh, and By there's the way, no time, Kiefer Sutherland. David Lynch I directed love Wicked Game, that music video. Oh, that makes so much no sense. No wonder it's so good. That's, that's, that's a, yeah. <laughs> Stop. I mean, there, there's definitely a vibe okay. that runs through Lynch movies of just like the sensuality and, and kind of thing. I had seen Twin Peaks and I was like, cool, it's a prequel. And this movie definitely shows a lot of what maybe we didn't even need to know. But then all of a sudden the agents change because David Bowie shows up. Bowie. And then it Bowie. becomes Kyle McLaughlin shows up because he's from the TV show. And then it just becomes the Laura Palmer story. Yes, which I really quite enjoy. But like it, It's weird how the focus changes so rapidly. Yes. The beginning of this movie, yes, is kind of like this this mystery, these two agents. There is Because there was a murder in this town before the big Teresa murder. Teresa Palmer. Yes. Um, there is stuff. Like, the first part of this movie is just be like, yeah, tuck this away till the return 25 years later. You're going to need it. Is that true? It is true, yeah. Oh, that so I... rain okay. comes back, baby. <laughs> baby. Yeah. Now, I guess I should be excited. Yeah. Now, what they did, though, with this one, because, you know, Twin Peaks, we'll talk about it here in a second kind of a offbeat humor, kind of a darker humor, mm. but they pulled out the humor from fire walk with me and made this much darker in mm-hmm. tone than the TV show, which I think was kind of off putting for fans of the TV show. Are like, Oh, I want to know more about this. And they watch this and they're like, wow, that's dark. Why isn't Cheryl Lee a bigger thing? Cause she is amazing. She in is. this. fun fact about Cheryl Lee. She was picked to be a dead body. Yeah. Meaning they said, we don't want to, we don't want an actress. We don't have a big budget. We're just going to hire some Seattle local to be the, the dead body. And then she ended up being like this focal point of the story. Yeah, she's fantastic. I absolutely love the story of Laura Palmer in her final days. It's just, I don't know, it's maybe not necessary, but it it's just amazing, okay? Okay, no, I mean, I get it. That's a pretty high rating. You have three, you said? <laughs> yeah, number three. Wow. All right, number two, Wild at Heart. Now, this is Nicolas Cage. But it's Nicolas Cage. Now, can you have a synopsis for this one, a personal synopsis, or do you want me to read the IMDb? It feels like Nicolas Cage found a time machine and is playing his former self as loud as he can. Basically, he gets out of jail and he and Lara Dern live a dangerous life on the road. Yeah, this came out in 1990. It's 124 minutes long. Budget of 10 million made 14 million. Yeah. Uh, I would say this is Lynch's rom-com. Wow. And you'd yeah. be right. It's super fun. Uh, lots of people say this is like Lynch's Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he, he put elements and references to yeah. Wizard of Oz Peggy in the Lee story. plays... Uh, or sorry, Cheryl Lee plays the uh, Good Witch of the North yeah. at the end, saying, Sailor, don't give up on love. <laughs> now, this was filmed <laughs> no during the se- season one of Twin Peaks. So Twin Peaks was yeah. happening, mm-hmm. and he directed a couple of episodes there, but then he devoted most of his time to this movie, Wild at Heart. Yes. And it, it was a book originally, but mm-hmm. he changed a lot of the original material to make it more uh, Lynchian, Zach. That's a word. That also, a word. Willem Dafoe is here with a yes. very creepy smile. Well, it's Willem Dafoe. And he's so weird and creepy. It, it's weird because this movie is essentially comedy, and Nicolas Cage is playing it as a comedy. Yes. Laura Dern does not seem to be playing it as if it's anything but a drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't, and it's Lynchian. It's it's all unexpected. Yes. Uh, no, I just, I love it. I love the ending scene where he, where it's... Hold, hold on. Are we going to spoil it? I, I feel like it's fine because it ends in such a rom-com way. Did any of David <laughs> okay, Lynch's endings actually end the movie? Okay, five, six, seven, eight. Can I spoil Wild at Heart? Okay. Sure. Movie, yes, okay. He gets out of jail a second time, and he, he's meeting Laura Dern again. 
She picks him up from jail and his and his son. And he goes, you know what? You're better off without me. And he leaves. And then an Asian street gang beats him up for some apparent reason. And then that's when he sees the good witch. Mm-hmm. And he decides to go back to Lara Dern because getting beat up by this gang taught him the important lesson of family. Aww. And then, and then and, he sings And then he love sings me in tender. traffic. Yeah, Love Me Tender. Because he's like, Lula, I'm never going to see... I'm not going to sing Love Me Tender to any other woman besides the woman I'm going to marry. So he's just like, oh. You love it. I you love, love it. So it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. I just figured out what your number one is. Yep. Yeah. Surprising, huh? That is surprising. All right. You want to go straight into it? Let's go straight All into right. it. I mean, straight into I mean, it. Should we or should we take a moment <laughs> and 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 meditate a lot? Because he's the David Lynch is a guru. Yes, he is. Yeah. Who is a big advocate for transcendental meditation. Yes. So he we, wants it taught to the homeless and refugees in children's schools. Uh, do you know some famous names who do transcendental meditation? You should tell me. Okay, Greg, we got we got Peter, Clint Eastwood, Bobby. We got Hugh Jackman. We got Oprah Winfrey. Some other people. Those are big names. Those are yes, big they are names. very big names. Hey, before we give number one, and this is very in theme, <laughs> you forgot number four. I didn't forget number four. <laughs> Anyone paying attention to the order? Honestly, watch a David Lynch movie. You'll understand. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's jump back to number four then. Number four, Mulholland Drive. Uh, it's a great mystery. Uh, the themes are awesome. It's another switch in the middle. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be a TV show where Audrey Horn was supposed to be the main character. Twin Peaks, yeah. 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 An aspiring actress ends up as a caretaker for a woman that has amnesia, and together they try to find out who the woman is. Halfway through the movie, they both become different characters entirely. Yes. There's a director who is told to hire a lead actress, or else he agrees, but then she becomes someone else too. Yeah. (laughs) What? Naomi Watts, pre The Ring. Yeah. Uh, was in this movie. Big break on this one. Big break. Yeah, yeah this big, big break. Uh, this came out in 2001. 146 minutes, uh, $15 million budget, $20 million. Like, I, I want to bring in the money because he never makes that much money. And yet people, Hollywood still respect him as this great film uh, maker, mm-hmm. but not because of his box office. And that's so fascinating because normally Hollywood just wants bankability. This is rated R for many reasons. Many reasons. I, I, my buddy Jeff got me an edited version of this, and uh, I read about later. I was like, wow, I, I, thank you. But yes, like you said, this was going to be a, an ABC TV show where oh. it was going to be like, they were going to, well, they, no, it started out, they were going to try and there was a murder solve mystery the mystery. Yes. They're going to solve the mystery of the amnesiac and who she is and yeah. what her story is because there's people after her. That was going to be the story. And then once they shelved it and said, no, we're not going to use this. He added in the romance. He added in the twist endings. He and, and it seems like he's riffing on studios as well. Oh, yeah. It's about film studio decisions. But then also it's a David Lynch movie, so that's never quite resolved. Well, this is also a kind of anti-Hollywood. Yeah. Because it's all about these young starlets who come to Hollywood and get jaded and murdered. And then there's a creepy bag man oh, behind that, the Winkies. I saw that clip. You know what I'm talking about, the Daylight the Horror. The bomb? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, oh. That part was, was in one of these biggest jump scare lists mm-hmm. on YouTube that I watched. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, I got me creeped out even though I've never seen this movie. Also, but I don't know what happened. Doesn't really I have covered my to do eyes with the, movie. the second time no. I watched it. I was like, I don't no, e- Even though you know it's coming, yeah. it's horrifying. Because uh, he builds up the suspense. It, people call it the Lynchian jump scare. He tells you exactly what's going to happen and you're still scared. Yeah. Yes. That's a word. Yeah, it is a word. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, should we go to number one now? Yeah. Back to number one, which is shocking to me. Number one, The Straight Story. A G-rated movie. A G-rated Disney movie. Yeah, that's right. And it got nominated for an Oscar. Yes. and uh, From the twisted mind of David Lynch. <laughs> this gives to us me, a synopsis. This to me, I, I could give a synopsis because this is a straightforward story. Ha, yeah. Pun intended. 
Is it? An old man makes a long journey by lawnmower to mend his relationship with an ill brother. And this is based on a true story about mm-hmm. this guy who lived in Iowa. Yeah, I think, yep, he, was, I think he was in Iowa. And then he was going to... He calls to, it Iowa. And then he was going to meet his brother like a state away. Yes. And he he didn't he couldn't get his license, so he just drives a lawnmower. And this is based on a true story. You can see the real the pictures of these real people, and it is this straightforward, heartwarming Disney tale that you can see the shadow of Lynch, the Lynchian elements, as mm-hmm. it were. Uh, you can see that in this movie with the music and the way people talk to each other. Because David Lynch also does this thing where people don't talk normally. It's like these non sequiturs. Very homebred. Right. Like I'd be like, Kent, what did you have for lunch today? And you're like, polar bears are depleting in the ice caps. Yeah, that's And then we just right. move on to something else. So this movie is straightforward, you know, yes, pun is. intended, but he calls it his most experimental. Yes, he Why? Does. I don't know. Because it doesn't disturb, he doesn't talk about his or films. mystify. Um, I, I think this movie, yes, it is a straightforward story, but also with a lot of David Lynch movies, you can read into it what you want. I think with this, you can go as deep as you want into what everything means in this. Mm-hmm. You can think of it as a life story, a religion story, yes, family uh, story. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's the thing is, it's not just heartwarming. There are some heart wrenching moments yeah. too. There's two speeches in particular mm-hmm. where he, uh, the actor, what's his name, R- Richard Farnsworth, who should have won. He should have won Best Actor because he lost. Gives, he gives these these amazing, just long monologues, and he's you can tell he's kind of. I mean, he was sick at the time. Yeah. His legs weren't working as well. Last film role. This is his last film role. Uh, he died a year later. And he lost and to Kevin Spacey. <laughs> okay. For American Beauty, Joel. Oh. I hate that. I hate that. I hate it too. But you watch him and he's doing this role and it's almost like he's playing himself, but not really. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not trippy. It's not weird. It is a very straightforward story. And you can watch this with your family and this could be your David Lynch experience. It, it yeah. feels like a more accessible, lighthearted Nomadland. Yeah, because it's meant to be like definitely. Here's Middle America, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the conversations he has with people are actually heartwarming and heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's yeah. number wow. one. That was your number that is one. number one. So are you? It is my favorite movie. Deep of all down time. inside, are you a softy, or do you like it because it feels like a hipster Lynchian choice? I uh, deep down, I'm a softy. Okay, Aww, yeah. I like that. Deep, deep, deep down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now let's talk Twin Peaks. We've been saving it. Let's jump to it. So if you don't know what Twin Peaks is, we talked about it on the show before. An idiosyncratic FBI agent investigates the murder of a young woman in the even more idiosyncratic town of Twin Peaks. Yeah. I like to describe Twin Peaks as a sadder, more murdery version of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. So this started on April 8th, 1990. It lasted for two seasons and one 18-episode return in 2017. And almost became kind of the same thing as Mulholland Drive. Meaning? Yeah. Just a movie there or There is an international pilot that wraps up the story into a movie. Yeah, because they wanted to film an ending in case it didn't get picked up. Yep. Even though he never wanted to actually solve the mystery. No, his whole, right. his whole point of this, the, the, the story revolves around the murder of Laura Palmer mm-hmm. this, right at the beginning. And he was like, that's our foot in the door. And then people are going to start caring more and more about this, the, the townspeople and, this, and the place where they live and their problems and the stories that are going on. So it's kind of like The Office. And we'll push the murder <laughs> to the background. How dare you? Come for Michael Scott. Stay for everyone else. Um, you haven't watched The Office, can you? You have no way to speak. It's <laughs> not what it's about. Uh, I mean, he's not that wrong. No, he's, he's pretty close, actually. But uh, let's talk a little about the characters here. You get uh, Special Agent Dale Cooper. That's right. Played by Matt Kyle McLaughlin. He's the FBI <laughs> agent. And he is 
the strangest cool guy I've ever seen in my right. life. Yeah, uh, I enjoy Chet Desmond more than Dale Cooper now, actually. But Who's Chet Desmond? Who's he? He's the uh, agent in Firewalk with me. I haven't seen it. Oh, Ooh. so good. I would love to see Chet yeah. Desmond in Twin Peaks, just walking in all cool, be like, what's going on here? Yeah. And then he's just heartwarmed by everyone in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And then you get the local sheriff, Harry S. Truman. Uh, they just chose that name yep. for fun. And his friend and his uh, brother the in the return, Frank oh. Truman. <laughs> uh, you get uh, Shelly Johnson, the, the waitress. You get uh, Bobby Briggs, Laura's boyfriend. Benjamin Horn, the local businessman. Uh, Laura's p- parents. Uh, I can't remember their names. Sarah and Leland. And, like, there's all these different characters that you get to know throughout the story. The woman with the patch. Dr. Who, Jacoby. Who want, yeah, Dr. Jacoby. Who wants to create, uh, the woman wants to create a silent curtain runner mm-hmm. and she's obsessed with it so i mean just you're painting the picture here of the characters but this is small town washington where everyone knows each other in the town there's a diner that everyone goes to there's a high school where there there are cliques yeah and people hate each other and they're breaking up all the time this is there's a lot of affairs going on definitely and this soap is just this, it, and that's thing it's supposed to be a parody soapy. of soap operas yeah and that makes total sense because it is it is like you watch this and it is i mean they got the eye patch they have amnesia they have all these different things where even in the show there are sometimes where you just cut to a tv and there is a sitcom in twin peaks world yeah because it's it's a parody of soap operas but it's also super serious like this isn't like farce this is like this kind of it's so moody strange humor yeah very moody uh, the log lady, you know, just sure. I love yeah. the log lady. She's a woman who carries around a log like a baby. Do you know her name? I have it right here, so I cheated. Okay, yeah, but I just call her log lady. And like I said, they don't they don't talk like normal people to each other. The the, the speech is very kind of stylized in the way they speak. Not a lot of non sequiturs or people just randomly sure. spouting out things. It's one of these shows. So one of his tropes he does is evil doppelgangers mm-hmm. or, or like more so. gray doppelgangers and Tulpas. what's that? Tulpas. Tulpas, is that what they call it? Uh, in the return, yeah. Okay. And so in this one, Cheryl Lee, who plays Laura Palmer, she shows up as a doppelganger. She plays her own cousin. Yeah, she's playing her cousin. It's the same actress, but with the wig on. Yeah. Or maybe she's wearing the wig And, and it's Lara. meant to kind of throw you off to go, no, no, I know her. She's dead. But that's a, such a soap opera thing to do. Right. And that's why it's fun. Uh, we, we've we've talked about the, the theme song many times here on Bacon Cell, or at least reference it. But uh, it is composed by Angelo Badalamente. Badalamente, thank you. And he wrote this song, the, the signature theme, the love song for Twin Peaks in 20 minutes. And Lynch told him, you just wrote 75% of the score. It's the mood of the whole piece. It's, it's Twin he Peaks. He actually said that or you're just telling a joke? He said that. You wrote 75% of the score. Because <laughs> they use it throughout. a lot. Well, even the opening credits, it's a minute 30 of just this song and like images of the town and the, and the sawmill. It's amazing. And it is so soothing and nice, but I'll tell you what, uh, I binge watch a lot of these episodes, just kind of get back in the, in the mood, because I've seen it sure. before, but I wanted to mm-hmm. watch it again. I definitely hit the skip intro a couple times, because I'm like, I just need to hurry and get into the episode, because i got to watch these fast. Uh, and that's like a slow pause, take a moment and reflect. Have you guys listened to the uh, theme song version with the uh, lyrics? No. Yes, with the singing in it? Yes. Falling by Julie Cruz. Yeah. Is it all right if I read some of it? You bet. Okay. First verse. Don't let me be hurt this time. Don't let me be hurt this time. Then I saw your face and I saw your smile. The sky is still blue. The clouds come and go. Yes, something is different. Are we falling in love? Yeah. Snaps. Wait, why is it? It's so good. It sounds cheerful? Yes, it is. But the song is not? 
But it's like this kind of whining. It's not because of the not show. A whining, I think. like a wailing. It, it's kind very of song. dreamlike. Yeah, I would yeah. Say. yeah. He he does works a lot in like uh, ambient soundscapes. That's what these are. These the music, and he'll use like a little cool jazz thing. Yeah. Like, ding, 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 He'll have that playing in the background and just a random conversation in the diner. Right. In oh, fact, I was half waiting for like men to come in. No. Just saying. You're waiting for men to come in? I, I, I think that just to get a feel of what it's like, I think we need to recreate a little bit of the scenes here on Bacon Sale. Much oh, like really? the Gilmore Girls. Oh, okay. In fact, uh, you all have a, a couple scripts that I've sent you. Uh, let's, let's read through some of these. So I'd like to start with season one, open your scripts, season one, episode one, pilot. We're going to be reading from the pilot here. And the pilot, by the way, is an hour 30. Like it is a feature length pilot. And then they're all like 40 minutes after that. Some people would say episode one and two should be the pilot. Some say that. That's like two hours. But Andrew, you are going to be playing Agent Cooper. Excellent. I'll be playing Sheriff Truman. Kent, you'll be the elderly mayor. Okay. Zach, you will be the narrator. And let's begin the scene. Interior, Twin Peaks, Town Hall, night. Cooper and Sheriff Truman sit next to each other at a large table for speakers at one end of the room opposite the entrance. The room is filled with the chatter of people. I think I saw a cottontail rabbit. It must have been a snowshoe rabbit. Snowshoe? Right. Snowshoe. A snowshoe rabbit. Cooper scans the room filling with people and spots an Asian woman walking forward. Who's the babe? That is one of the most beautiful women in the state. Mrs. Packard. Packard Sawmill? Yep. Where's Mr. Packard? Died in a boating accident last year. Andrew Packard practically built this town. Brought her over from Hong Kong six years ago. Left her everything, which didn't exactly please his sister. That's her right there. Truman gestures to the woman, Catherine Martell, who is sitting on the other side of her husband, Pete Martell, that Mrs. Josie Packard is sitting next to. The original deep freeze. Who's the glad handy dandy? Cooper gestures to a rich looking man that has come up to Josie and is holding her hand. Benjamin Horn, local bigwig. He owns half the town. He's not after her. He's after her land. Mayor Dwayne Milford, an elderly man, is at the podium banging a gavel. The lights in the room flicker on and off as a woman holding a log is switching them on and off frantically to get people's attention. Who's the lady with the log? We call her the log lady. The lights continue to flicker on and off as people slowly start to quiet down. The elderly mayor stands up and begins to speak. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention? He looks around. Is this thing on? He pats the microphone. Is this thing on? Hang on, Mayor. Sheriff Truman moves to the podium and adjusts the microphone and helps the elderly mayor sit down. Thank you, Mayor Milford. Agent Cooper? Sheriff Truman gestures to Agent Cooper to come to the microphone. Cooper clears his throat as he approaches the podium. Thank you, Sheriff. Ladies and gentlemen, Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Dale Cooper. One year ago, almost to the day, in a small town in the southwest corner of this state, the body of a young girl called Teresa Banks was found. She had no family. No one came forward to claim her body. It wasn't even news until today. There are irrefutable similarities that, for obvious reasons, I can't discuss that lead us to conclude that Laura Palmer was the second and Ronette Pulaski would have been the third victim of the same killer. Now, there is a chance that the person that committed these crimes is someone from this town, possibly even someone you know. You are the leaders of this community. It is vitally important that this not turn into a witch hunt. I would strongly suggest a temporary curfew for those under 18 years of age. Keeping your kids off the street now may teach them a degree of caution that may protect them in the days and weeks to come. I will remind you, these crimes occurred at night. And that's where the scene ends. It's not like we... 
Good they job, have Andrew. best town Good meeting. Job. He says that, and then it just goes to the next scene. All right. Next up, we have from season one, episode four, Rest in Pain. Another scene here in a diner. And Andrew, once again, Agent Cooper. I'll stay Sarah Truman because, you know, we got to you know, make sure we don't confuse the listener. Too. I'm Lucy. I thought you would be a great Lucy. And Zach, <laughs> once again, you are the lovely narrator. Sheriff Harry Truman and his receptionist Lucy arrive at the restaurant where the FBI agent Cooper is sitting at a table. They sit eager to hear Agent Cooper's news, the identity of Lara's killer. A waitress is waiting to take Cooper's order. Trudy, two more coffees, please. Harry, Lucy, it is an absolutely beautiful morning. To the waitress. Short stack of grill cakes, melted butter, maple syrup, lightly heated, slice of ham. Nothing meets the taste sensation when maple syrup collides with ham. The waitress nods and leaves to put in the order. Who killed Lara Palmer? Truman and Lucy lean in. The suspense is killing them. Agent Cooper takes a long sip of coffee. Harry, let me tell you about the dream I had last night. Lucy whips out a writing pad and pencil. To bet? No. You were there, Harry. Lucy, so are you. Harry, my dream is a code waiting to be broken. Break the code, solve the crime. Break the code, solve the crime. In my dream, Sarah Palmer had a vision of her daughter's killer. Deputy Hawks sketched his picture. I got a phone call from a one-armed man named Mike. The killer's name was Bob. Mike and Bobby? No, it was a different Mike and a different Bob. They lived above a convenience store. They had a tattoo. Fire. Walk with me. Mike couldn't stand the killing anymore, so he cut off his arm. Bob vowed to kill again, so Mike shot him. Do you know where dreams come from? No. Not specifically. Acetylcholine neurons fire high-voltage impulses into the forebrain. These impulses become pictures. These pictures become dreams. But no one knows why we choose these particular images. So what was the end of this dream? Suddenly, it was 25 years later. I was old, sitting in a red room. There was a midget in a red suit and a beautiful woman. The little man told me that his, my favorite gun was coming back into style. And didn't his cousin look exactly like Laura Palmer? Which she did. What cousin? A beautiful woman. She's filled with secrets. Sometimes her arms bend back. And where she's from, the birds sing a pretty song and there's always music in the air. The midget did dance, Laura kissed me, and she whispered the name of the killer in my ear. Who was it? I don't remember. Dang. Dang. Harry, our job is simple. Break the code, solve the crime. Just then, Sheriff Truman's walkie-talkie beeps. He answers it. Yeah, you hang on. I'll be right there. Turns it off. That was Andy. There's a fight over at the morgue. He knows why. Albert. All right, and scene. And scene. scene. See, Zach, I, that completely explained everything that was going on. Didn't you yeah. understand everything they were talking about with the, with the room and the arms that go back and fill the secrets? <laughs> Every bit of it, Joel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every the Red Room bit. is pretty crucial. It Every is. scene with the Red Room, the you can't help but watch, even though it means... Which he said he got... Like, a, little, David right? Lynch said he got the inspiration for the Red Room when he had his hand on top of a hot car. Okay. Sounds like Lynchian to me. Makes sense. Now for our final scene, Season 1, Episode 6, Cooper's Dreams. Andrew, once again, Agent Cooper. I'll be playing Sheriff, Sheriff Truman. Kent, you'll be playing dual roles, so oh. you have two different voices. Hawk, who's kind of like, he's the deputy sheriff. He's a little more uh, gruff and silent type. Yep. And then Dr. Hayward, uh, good small-town doctor type. Sure. And Zach, you're playing the narrator and <gasps> the log lady. Oh. Sheriff Truman, Deputy Sheriff Hawk, Agent Cooper, and Dr. Hayward approach a cabin cautiously with guns in hand. Suddenly, a lady holding a log steps out from the cabin in front of them. About time you got here. The men, startled, point their guns at the log lady, but then realize who she is and lower their weapons. They move so slowly when they're not afraid. 
She walks back towards the cabin. The men hesitate. Come on, then. My log does not judge. Interior. Cabin. Day. A teapot can be heard whistling from the stove. Hawk, Sheriff Truman, and Dr. Hayward enter, but stand near the door. Cooper stands underneath the doorway just behind them. The log lady pours the hot water from the kettle into a teapot. I've got tea. I've got cookies. No cake. That's very kind of you, ma'am, but I don't believe that... Hawk puts his hand up to silence Cooper. What kind of cookies? Sugar. The owls won't see us in here. Hawk turns to Sheriff Truman, nods, and moves to take a seat at the table. Dr. Hayward follows suit. Cup of tea would be very nice. Cooper and Sheriff Truman are still at the door. Cooper moves in to talk to him, but is interrupted by the log lady. Shut your eyes and you'll burst into flames. Thanks, Margaret. The log lady places the teapot onto the table and sits down. We'll let it steep. Sheriff Truman and Cooper move to take a seat at the table. Cooper moves to grab a sugar cookie from the nearby tray. The log lady slaps his hand as he touches a cookie. Wait for the tea. The fish aren't running. Hawk grins at him. You've been expecting us, Margaret? You're two days late, but that's your concern. My log saw something, something significant. What did your log see? Tea first, then be ready. She pours each of them a cup of tea. Thank you. My husband was a logging man. Oh? He met the devil. Fire is the devil hiding like a coward in the smoke. It's the day after the wedding, wasn't it, Margaret? The wood holds many spirits, doesn't it, Margaret? The log lady picks up her log off the floor beside her, holds it in her arms like a baby, leans it towards Cooper. You can ask it now. Cooper looks toward Sheriff Truman, who nods to him to go on. Cooper bends slightly towards the log and says, What did you see that night? The night Laura Palmer was killed. Shh. She pats the log and speaks to it. I'll do the talking to the men. Dark, laughing. The owls were flying. Many things were blocked. Laughing. Two men, two girls. Flashlights pass in the woods over the ridge. The owls were near. The dark was pressing in on her. Quiet then. Later. Footsteps. One man passed by. Screams far away. Terrible, terrible. One voice. Man or girl? Girl. Further up, over the ridge, the owls were silent. The men look at each other with ominous glances. Scene. Ding, 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 ding. Zach, thank you. That was a, I, I wanted to give you the That's biggest a monologue. at the end. Yes. Wow, yeah, you wanted to give me a monologue with myself. That was, <laughs> that was so nice, Joel. Thanks for narrating yourself. Yeah, yeah, I, got like, was, I got one line of that last one. That was pretty uh, good. Agent that, Cooper? That was great. I just watch it's it. Super fun for me. Great delivery over there. Yeah. Nicely done, Andrew. How did it feel oh, being I Agent Cooper? Best. Uh, it felt good. Good, good. So we hope that gave you a little uh, taste of the Lynchian-esque aspects of Twin Peaks. I chose those scenes because... I felt like they they were bizarre enough, but also entertaining enough. So mm-hmm. you get a feel of the show, but also have no idea what's going on. Joel, I have some fun facts I'd love to just spew out here at the end. I love fun facts. Okay. Uh, Zach and I also love fun facts. Okay. <laughs> I'm mediocre on them. Oh, really? Yeah. Mr. Australia facts? Okay. Yeah, uh, fences <laughs> in Australia. It's crazy. Uh, can I talk around the series a little bit? Or do you sure, guys want to talk yeah. about favorite scenes? I think it's so interesting. And maybe this is David Lynch's grand plan. He doesn't seem like the guy that has like a, a Lynchian verse, right? A lot of storytellers will now combine stories into one. But in Twin Peaks, we even had in that scene, Laura Palmer tells Agent Cooper that she'll see him in 25 years. Yes. And 25 years is when the revi- yeah, revival, reboot, the return. yeah, the return actually came out of yes, the TV is. series, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Do you yeah. think he purposely was waiting or do you think he's like, can someone give me money? And hey, it's been 25 years. Let's give it a shot. Mm, I think. Like, was there more story to tell? There definitely was more of a story to tell. Yes. All right. 
I believe that David Lynch was kind of sour on it. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of took this idea that maybe like people had come up with for Twin Peaks and he just kind of shoved it into the return. And said that's the explanation. Yes. Well, so, so I, I do want to talk about the cancellation real quick yeah. because first season, huge splash. 14 nominations at the Emmys. Everyone was talking about it. Saturday Night Live skit about it. Like this is like people were discussing. This is the water cooler discussion every week of like yeah, what uh, is happening. College Very kids were gathering for watch parties of this. Yeah, this this was like the lost of its day when it was like people were discussing it and really engaged with it. Changed TV forever. It did. It, it, it kind of altered the way we think of drama on TV. And then about midway through the second season, David Lynch kind of got pressured into revealing who killed Laura Palmer about halfway through season two. Yeah. And he didn't want to do it. Like you said, he never he didn't, he didn't want to solve it. He wanted it to be kind of pushed in the background once the people. Because you, you already love the characters. I think we talked stay. about like maybe at the end. Yeah. yeah. But his, his co-creator, Mark Frost, wanted him to solve it. The studio wanted him to solve it. So eventually he went fine and he solved the murder midway through the season. And then the show tanked. Like in ratings, and it's interesting and in quality. when you when you were pitching the show to me, I was like, "Oh, it, I hear it's like this grand murder mystery." And then you said, "And if you want to stop halfway through the second season, that's totally fine." I, I tell people stop in the second season whenever you feel like you've gotten enough. Obviously, I couldn't do it. I was literally hate watching by the end. The last two episodes, I feel like near the end of that second season, great. Yes. Well, and David Lynch did direct the final. He came back to direct the final one. Mm-hmm. But what he said was he ended it with a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Well, they they moved it from Thursday. To From Thursday Saturday? night to Saturday night, and the ratings started dropping. It was just back it, in days it of broadcast TV. Yeah, it was yeah. failing. And then he directed the final episode, and he said he, he ended up with a cliffhanger intentionally because he said that's not the ending. That's the ending that people were stuck with. Like yeah. it was almost like this is upsetting. Show you, yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's kind of what leads into return. He took what people thought they wanted, and he just put it into the return. Yeah. But this has the show has influenced Almost many rubbed things. their faces in it. One of the reasons this is maybe sad, maybe not. I don't know. But one of the reasons I, I watched Twin Peaks, I knew about it. I'd seen bits of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'd seen the pilot episode, uh, you know, years ago, but never really got into it. And it wasn't until I watched uh, Dual Spires, which is an episode <laughs> of Psych. Okay. And if you watch Psych and you love Psych, there's an episode called Dual Spires, and it is this. It's in the fifth season, and it's this homage to Twin Peaks with some of the same actors coming back and playing different roles and and the murder surround the murder in a small town like it's and it's all very kind of all these twin peaks jokes and i went i want to watch twin peaks so i can understand this episode and then i watched twin peaks watch it again hilarious should I watch it's it? an amazing totally episode. should okay yeah yeah um also twin peaks was an inspiration to the 1993 video game the legend of zelda Link's awakening huh. which i don't know if that's a good one or not i never really played it never heard it's it. really really good uh but it's the their suspicious characters and the mystery elements are all part of that it also inspired uh, silent hill has a lot of kind of Lynchian. Yep. Alan asking. Wake as well. Yeah, Alan Wake mm-hmm. is another one. Mac, uh, Max Payne. What is that? Yeah, one? Max Payne. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so there's there's Lynch has made a huge splash on TV with Twin Peaks. One of the reasons we wanted to talk about it today. Yeah. But Andrew, I, I saw you flinching when I was talking about how much I hated the ending. Do you think Twin Peaks maintains its coolness all the way through? I think if you look at them at all of it, from Twin Peaks to the season two to Firewalk with Me to the Return, I think. It is an amazing journey that you will love. Um, Does it have an ending? Because I haven't seen... I didn't watch the revival. Does it have an ending? Does it have resolution? Or does it? Is it Lynchian? And just kind of went, you decide what happens. Here's a pumpkin. Or, or is this your of version of the Snyder Cut where you just want more of it, even if it's good or not? I would love more of it, but I'm fine with where it dropped off. There is no definitive ending at the end. I, I would like to talk about season two a little bit because I, I 
I thoroughly enjoyed all of it. Which is fine. Like I said, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. I love that uh, Ed normally get together because without with David Lynch, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, I love Ben going crazy and just reenacting the Civil War. I love a Cooper in a flannel shirt. <laughs> I love a giant chess piece in the gazebo. Yeah. These are all things that happen. I, I love that you're describing these things way out of context, but at the same time, it fits very, very well with this cryptic show. I love Cooper show. In, a, in a tiny little boat with this, with this uh, I guess, love interest. Yeah, Heather yeah. Graham. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they bring in Heather Graham. To, they tried to bring in Heather Graham to boost right. the ratings. Yeah. Didn't help. I love all the characters in this. I, you, you sent over the that. The characters are the reason to watch it, I yeah, feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You will fall in love with all of them because I was having trouble just choosing some of them that I love because I love all of them. Mm-hmm. It's just a Do world. Do you have some favorite characters? Uh, yeah, I really like Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the both, deputy sheriff. Yeah, uh, both Truman brothers. Uh, Ed and Norma, I love that story. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton is in The Return. I just love a Harry Dean Stanton. He's just a guy you can look at and he's like, you're probably a good guy. I and like if, you. If you don't know who we're talking about, look at a picture and be like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like Agent Chet Desmond a lot. You uh, said. Watching Twin Peaks Firewalk with me over and over, I'm just like, I, I think I like this guy more than Cooper. <gasps> Dale Cooper is so cool. No, yeah. Well, like, I, I think he's perfect for what he's in. Like David Lynch has said, he is the fairy that you want in this world. Mm-hmm. Because without him, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Audrey Horn. Uh, yeah, she's a unique character because yeah. she is, I mean, she's strikingly beautiful. Yeah. The actress is. And the uh, way she acts you want to do people. a you want to do a rar? Oh oh, Zach, three two one. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Bowl a double rar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, deserving of a double rar. I think I think there's that's the reason you watch it. You watch the show because of the characters and the story. Yes, mm-hmm. but I just feel like they didn't care as much about the characters after the story after the murder was resolved, and they kind of just yeah. let them do random things. James's story, I don't like weak. at all. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but I think those are all great choices. And I think people, if you watch the show, like I said, it's two seasons. Well, and the revival, I guess. If you want the revival and the movie. But even then, it's only three seasons in a movie, which is pretty easy to digest. All right. That leads us right into where should people start? Uh, what should people watch if they're going to watch David Lynch? They're going to watch David Lynch. Uh, I have a really quick list of what's most approachable. Okay. Number one, you can go with the stray story. It's... It's a, a G-rated movie, movie. movie, yeah. Pizza movie night, watch that one. Perfect movie to watch. Uh, then you have Twin Peaks, just original recipe, two seasons. Firewalk with me and The Return do get a little, um, what's the word, saucy? Yes. A uh, little, saucy. little more Lynchian, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> well, family yeah. But family friendly. Not on this show. <laughs> um, and then if you like Twin Peaks and the other one, um, I would suggest Wild at Heart. There, there is some... Sessa nudity in it, yep. but um, it's it's not nearly as much as his other movies. Anyway, so yeah. Okay, and and if you're gonna watch Twin Peaks, I don't recommend jumping into a random episode, or you will be lost. Right. Start from the beginning, watch that first hour and a half of just almost straightforward drama with a little bit of weirdness, and then let the weirdness continue as it goes along. Just enjoy the ride. I would say it's not unlike Bacon Sale. No. No, it's not. We find a point eventually. But I asked my friend, why do people love David Lynch's work so much? What is it about him that pulls people in? And he said, uh, Lynch is an impressive director because he can swing from full Lynchian to doing extremely straightforward to doing extremely straightforward films that you and your grandparents can enjoy equally, such as The Straight Story or The Elephant Man. 
that Lynch can do normal movies that are in many ways just as good as his weird ones speaks to his skills as a storyteller. And just he talks about the dreamlike quality of his movies that you watch these. It's kind of emotions washing over you images and you suddenly get a feeling of a story than having a story told to you. It is amazing that he can achieve an effect without telling it straightforward. And they are open to interpretation. I've seen I looked up videos and discussion boards. He will never explain trying to figure out what the heck happened in Mulholland Drive. And I got kind of an idea of what was going on. And I hate the smarmy people that are like, oh, well, you obviously sure. didn't understand it because David Lynch gave us these 10 clues and I know everything about this movie. And I'm so like, no, YouTube. you don't. There's a yeah. four-hour video on YouTube explaining Twin Peaks. What? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Here's something that's, that's pretty cool about David Lynch is he's able to escape any sort of, uh, well, being called mainstream for obvious reasons because his movies are so ambiguous. But like, it's not cool to say, I like the mysteries in Christopher Nolan movies. I like Denis Villeneuve because he makes really challenging films. Like at this point, that's just film bro talk. Mm-hmm. But if you say I like David Lynch, everyone's like, yep, respect. Not everyone. Well, not you. Film students. Yeah. Well, no, but that's the thing. It's like within these film circles, it's still okay to say you like him because his movies are challenging enough. Yeah. Like they, they evoke a mood and a feeling rather than a theme. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have an experience. And then, Andrew, I was going to ask you kind of just to wrap up a little bit here. Why do you think people love David Lynch much? Why do you love David Lynch so much? And then, and why should other people watch his work and give it a chance? Um, I do believe that some people just, they enjoy Lynch because of, it appeals to a certain love and like that the abstract can explain things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like everybody always wonders what dreams are about. Everyone wants to decode them. And I think this kind of gives them that feeling I love David Lynch just because of when you get through with one of his movies, just things wash over you that you probably wouldn't experience with any other movie. It gives you room to dream with like where the characters are, where the story went. What does the story even mean? I think it's kind of refreshing to not have kind of like a a conclusive ending. I think it's kind of important to be okay with things not really ending Mm. to just kind of think. Yeah. To and these dream. will these will make you think. These are unique movies that will stick with you for one reason or another. Yeah. yeah. You'll you'll be thinking about these movies for a while after seeing them. And you may have different takeaways each time you watch them, yeah. trying to decode it. Yeah. But there we go. So Andrew, thank you. Thank you for coming here on hey, the show you, and for uh basically exposing the listener to a little bit of Lynchian uh dreamlike This is like film class, basically. Lucid dreaming, what are we calling it? Uh but you know, basically to David Lynch and his work. Uh, is there anyone here at the end you'd like to give a shout out to uh, before we sign off? Um, I'll shout out to my friend Ryan. You better listen to this. <laughs> I'll oh, come for was, you. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll duct tape you to a, a seat and make you watch it. I mean, listen to it. <laughs> that sounds Lynch. Let us know on Facebook. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Twitter. Talk back to us and let us know. if Do you watch David Lynch movies? Yeah. Do you know who he is? Are you going to give him a chance after watching this this episode? Watching. We want to know. What we your definitely nightmares watching, are yeah. about after watching yeah. it? Start with the straight story if you're watching it with kids, definitely. Although they may get bored because it is a slower movie as well. Yes. Okay, but before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons. So from the I'm the Listener category, we have Lady Terrier Finley, Shannon West, Chris Drought, Sean Sanquist, Jennifer Kilkowski, Brayden Winterton, Alicia Bass, Glow Clan Daniel, Sir and Madam Hicks, Adam and Rachel Crump, Rocky and Steph, Scott Sprague, Jake the Cooler King Swallow, Andrew in the Dark. Hey! Hey, I know him. How's it going? Casey Cummings, John English, The Brick, Ryan and Marley, Debbie Foster, and Angela Plotz. 
And from our breaking council, we have Nicole sitting in the Sinbin Hale, the one, the only Chris Anderson, Stephen, everyone's favorite Ross, Her Royal Highness Jessica Terry, our favorite couple, the Madsons, Star Wars expert Kyler, Beaker, Spencer Pants Myers, Josh, and Allison Gall. Thank you, patrons. We thank love you, you so much. And thank you, listener. You are the conclusive endings to our David Lynch films. <laughs> we hope for them. We pray for them. We want them. But if you want to find me, you can find me at 76 Joel on Twitter. You can find me performing with QuickWits. They perform at the Midvale Performing Arts Center. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the QuickWits Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Kenny3DD. You can read my movie reviews at showtimeshowdown.com. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Tumbling Mustard. But more importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale. Please like that Facebook page. Follow at Bacon Sale on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, like maybe comment on Instagram too, because like nobody did last week. That's okay. <laughs> And while you're doing that, visit tpublic.com slash bacon sale, where you can get yourself some lovely merch you can't see. But Andrew is wearing a lovely long sleeve uh, Nolan inspired bacon sale shirt. Mm -hmm. It looks really great, by the way. That's tpublic.com slash bacon sale. We should sale. make a, Lynch, a Lynchian uh, bacon sale shirt where like it's a shirt, but it's not a shirt. But there's like a, a exploding robot head on it. I think we should just have uh, Kent as eraser head. Ooh. As a shirt. There we go. Tpublic.com slash bacon sale. And then if you like what's going on here and you want to support us further, visit patreon.com slash bacon sale, where support starts at just $3 a month. You can hear us review all sorts of movies. You can see notes to different things that we're, we're doing, pictures, videos. It's fun. Patreon.com slash bacon sale. Highly recommend it. So until next time, we'll see you again in 25 years. Until then. My contacts are bleeding into my eyes. Let it sleep. Fuffle fairy ruffle bar. Fuffle fairy ruffle bar. Fuffle yeah, fairy ruffle bar. You just endeared yourself to kids so much. <laughs> I, I got like three words out of that, and I think it was mostly demonic. <laughs> Paul is dead for sure. Yeah. Paul is definitely dead. You are backhanded in the face with love. <laughs> I'm a young buck. Well, my first experience with David Lynch was probably when I was around four to six. I think we learned that Andrew friend. is me as a 19-year-old. Like, I don't think Jeff Goldblum would cut me. Australia style facts. About David Lynch. <laughs> In that they're dumb. I wonder if that guy could direct Return, Return of the Jedi. David Lynch is A24 before A24 was A24. Totally. Those Ewoks are going to do something weird. I just watched a razor head and I'm hurt. He says it's his most spiritual film. Which he, I get. Like demon spiritual? Exciting? Okay. Rain okay. comes back, baby. Oh, drink break for all. <laughs> From the twisted mind of David Lynch. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Mil Thank you, Mayor Milford. Mil 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 Milner. Thank you, Mayor Milford. Meow, 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 meow. Okay. Thank you, Mayor Milford. Mayor Milford. Mayor Milford. Wow. Wolfus Wayne White. Thank you. Mayor Milford. <laughs> what? Why can't I say Mayor Mayor Milford? Mayor Milford. Mel Mayor Mayor Milford. Milford. Mayor Milford. Mel Milford. Mayor Milford. Do you want to leave the room? Because I feel like this. Milford. I got it. Thank you, Mayor Milford. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I say it? <laughs>